Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Mycotoxin Matters. As crops begin to mature across North America and Europe, we're delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, uh, Dr. Jan Dutton, the, the CEO of Prescient Weather, a US-based company who provide a range of advanced climate information services. Dr. Max Hawkins from Alltech's mycotoxin management team will also join us later in the podcast. Guys, thanks for getting on today with us. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Martin. Jan, we will start with you. Um, as I've done some preparation uh, for the podcast today, it is clear that weather is pretty much in your blood. Um, maybe you could give us a, a bit of a background into into your your own history around meteorology and the various business that the businesses that you now manage as part of the the prescient weather portfolio. Sure. So it turns out that my father was a professor of meteorology at Penn State University, and I can tell you when I was in high school, the last thing in the world I thought I'd be when I grew up was was a meteorologist. Uh, by the time I ended up in college, uh, I focused on physics, and um, a natural outcome of physics is to end up studying meteorology as well. So I, I ended up in grad. Somehow I ended up in grad school in meteorology, and uh, and sort of the rest is history at that point. So today I'm the CEO of Prescient Weather, and uh, we are trying to build uh, sort of objective-focused uh, weather information to help. Uh, to help commodity traders make better decisions. And that's commodities in both agriculture and energy. Well, then I guess today, Jan, our listeners will will probably be more most interested in, in one of those businesses called Crop Profit. Um, maybe you could, could focus on that for a bit. Uh, and firstly, what can, what can Crop Profit offer uh, customers? And secondly, what type of user is, is taking advantage of a, a service such as this? Yeah, sure. So, so crop profit focuses on trying to quantify the impact of weather on grain yield and grain production. And so to do that, we've created a machine learning model that relates weather conditions to the end of season yield and production as reported by uh, government agencies around the world. Um, and so, so it's really focused on uh, really trying to make sure that our users understand the evolving weather conditions and what their likely impact is going to be on production. So our primary customer is anyone trading grain uh, futures. So basically anyone trading corn, soybeans, or wheat futures is primarily a customer. And that includes some of the world's biggest hedge funds, some of the world's largest uh, agriculture companies, uh, all the way down to uh, agricultural risk management providers that are helping their customers uh, maximize the value of the crop that they're growing. Fantastic, Jan. So it, it kind of makes me think then, you know, even on my own phone, you know, I can take an advantage of numerous weather type apps and so on, and I can log on online and I can can view a lot of data. From a crop profit perspective, um, what is different about the, the services I guess you offer and how do you how do you differentiate yourself from from what probably would be kind open source data that is that is now pretty much ready readily available to to anyone out there who has a, a an internet login. 
Yeah, that that is a great question. So one of the things that we are doing is we actually forecast yields at the sub-regional level. So in the United States, for example, we're forecasting yields at the county level. And then say in Argentina, we're doing it at the departmental level. Uh, but our goal in doing that is to create um, some spatial detail so that we can create the most accurate possible national level forecast. Um, so while you can access uh, your phone and look at say weather conditions that have happened or are going to happen, it's usually for a specific location. Whereas what we're trying to do is integrate all locations that matter say for the corn crop and produce a, a national outlook because it's that national view that is really moving the, the, the futures prices. And, you know, interestingly, um, all of the data, almost all of the data that we use in crop profit is in fact publicly available data. And just, we have the knowledge and the know-how how to uh, process that data and create significant added value for our, our customers. And really that's gonna be our, our key differentiator is the, uh, the objective outlook that we're able to produce. So the, the information we produce is not subject to market hype. It's not even a human you know, interpreting information. We do it all through machine learning processes. Fantastic. Um, so then Jan, we're in the middle of the, the 2023 growing season here in the Northern hemisphere. Um, probably extreme is, is probably one of the words you'd associate most with it so far, be that extreme drought or, or extreme floods in, in certain regions. I can assure you sitting here in the UK today, we are not suffering uh, many of those challenges. Uh, we are in the middle of a, a great British summer. But in terms of, I guess, cross pro crop prospects uh, coming toward the, 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 the harvest season in, in North America and Europe, what are we looking at uh, in your models? Yeah, so May, June, sorry, in the United States, April, May, and June were very dry across key grain growing regions. And the market was very concerned about it. Um, and yet the, the larger scale picture was that uh, an El Nino was developing and the El, an El Nino impact in the United States is generally uh, cooler than normal and wetter than normal. Uh, and relative to say the, the US market, um, the question wasn't probably if it was more a matter of when. Uh, and so in early July, the um, conditions started to change and rain started to fall finally at normal rates, at least for a couple of weeks. Uh, and so certainly uh, we would expect corn and soybean yields to be likely below the technology trend, uh, but they're not a, uh, at this point, we're not forecasting a disastrous uh, year like 2012 or 1998. Uh, sorry, 1988. Um, and yet, what is interesting about the current year is it was very dry. It started to rain uh, across areas in the Midwest, and now the, the forecasts have turned towards dry conditions again. So I will say um, it's going to be a very difficult year to try to understand what the impact of weather on grains is. I certainly wouldn't want to be doing it without, uh, without some sort of information uh, backing me up. Well, you mentioned um, El Nino, and it's 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 a word that's on many people's lips in the in the crop industry right now. And there's a, there's a lot of a mention of it across media channels. Um, uh, so, what are you predicting in in this regard, Jan? And what impact could that have then on on crop output output potential? Yeah, so conditions uh, in the tropical Pacific, which is uh, really what drives the 
discussion around El Nino or La Nina is the temperatures in the tropical Pacific Ocean. Uh, they have shifted from colder than normal conditions or a La Nina to warmer than normal conditions, which is El Nino. And that shift is really important because it, it changes global circulation patterns. Uh, and therefore, the weather uh, that happens or the climate that happens in places like the United States and, and Europe. And so uh, we are the forecast that we have access to and the information that we're processing indicates that the warming is going to continue through to the end of the year, which is to say the El Nino conditions are likely going to grow stronger. Uh, and that will uh, certainly have impacts on the conditions that occur um, and we would expect that the uh, the there's no reason not to expect El Nino to continue uh, through till the end of the year and really into 2024. We are in an interesting situation, though. Uh, as as a meteorologist uh, focused on climate, you learn a real uh, bag full of of acronyms. So there's two other acronyms that are really important. <laughs> One is the Pacific Decadal Oscillation which is, uh, as the name implies, it's a very long-term cycle of temperatures in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and that is currently in a cool phase, so colder than normal conditions across much of the Northern Pacific. And the other then is the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation, uh, which is a multi-decadal temperature variation in the Atlantic Ocean, which, which has reached record highs. So the Atlantic Ocean right now is at record warm temperatures. The reason that's all important is if you end up in an El Nino with a negative Pacific decadal oscillation and a positive Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation, it is a uh, climate scenario in terms of sea surface temperatures and its impact on climate that doesn't exist in the historical record. So we're kind of, uh, we're, we're uh, walking new ground with regards to understanding what the potential impacts will, will be. Yet, uh, most people uh, end up defaulting towards sort of the the traditional uh, the traditional El Nino impact, uh, which is probably what I would do in this case as well. Right. Well, I'm glad we have um, we have experts like you to to interpret these things, uh, Jan, because my head typically starts to to spin when it gets into El Nino and La Nina and and the different um, ways in which uh, both of those play out. And then you've added in even a couple more complexities around that, which doesn't make yeah. it any easier. Um, when you were talking about crop profit earlier on uh, in the podcast, you you spoke about how it's it's centrally focused around delivering yield forecasts. But Jan, you're capturing a a wealth of data on a regular basis. What other opportunities do you see to to maximize the use of this information? And you know where you are with work on crop quality, and then I guess specifically we're talking about mycotoxins today. Are you are you in an area around mycotoxin prediction, for example? Yeah, that, that is a great question. So just uh, to sort of lay the uh, the background, so we are gathering a, a wide range of, of weather data, of crop production data, uh, weather forecast information, and we've created a, a rich database that allows for analysis of, say, weather and its impact on the agriculture industry overall. We happen to focus on uh, grain yield production uh, due to... Uh, uh, well, basically, it's kind of what we've always done, and uh, and we want to stay focused and be as best as, as we can be in that. And yet, there are a tremendous set of opportunities to use our data for other applications. And interestingly enough, one of the ones that I have explored is, um, is weather analysis for mycotoxin risk analysis. And so, 
probably most listeners of the podcast understand that uh, mycotoxin risk in crops is uh, highly correlated with the weather conditions that occur during the growing season. And uh, so we've actually done some initial work on trying to understand whether that application makes sense and then also try to understand the business case around that as well. And I, I actually think it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty underserved area and there will be developing uh, opportunities to provide valuable information to companies like yours and, and uh, to buyers of grains and growers of grains to understand what the risk is that their crop has, uh, has mycotoxins in it. So we actually are doing some work with a, with a South American company to try to create a product around uh, mycotoxin risk identification. And early on, uh, it, it's going pr pretty well, uh, but I'm definitely interested in trying to uh, uh, find new opportunities for using weather data for mycotoxin identification. It certainly is, Jan, a question that is coming up more and more within the category. And as, as we speak with different stakeholders, how can we make better use or, or connect the data and, and be able to, to look toward that, that probably holy grail of, of mycotoxin prediction and, and how we can build that in then into to mycotoxin uh, control pro programs alongside that. Yeah. Uh, Max, I'll bring you in here at this stage. And I guess um, you are our, our in-house guru when it comes to to monitoring these weather forecasts. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you're, you're keeping up to date with some of Jan's uh, models as well. If we think reflecting on, on some of what Jan has shared so far, what should feed and livestock producers across Europe and North America be considering in terms of uh, potential crop quality as, as things uh, stand in, in this year's growing season? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with what Jan has uh, presented to us here this morning. And it, the amount of crop stress that has gone on, you can drive an hour any direction from, from my office and you can see every every different stage of crop stress from excellent to very poor uh, within an hour's drive in any direction. And it's so it's quite varied. There's going to be some areas I think are locked in more excellent, good to excellent. There's going to be bigger areas that are that are poorer, but the variation is going to be maybe more than we've witnessed in the past few years. Uh, I, I think we know that weather, and Jan emphasized this as how the weather stresses the crop for yield. Uh, that stress on yield stresses health, uh, makes it more subjective to mold infestation. Uh, and if El Nino progresses and intensifies and brings us more rain as we get into late season prior to harvest, uh, that could really magnify the mycotoxin impact. So that's what I'm looking at now. We've already evidenced that across Northern Europe in the Danish region, uh, had a very dry growing season, late season rains uh, on top of that drought stress, uh, small grain crops. And we see very high mycotoxin levels in the straw from those crops already. So that's the big worry. That's what I think, uh, Feed ingredient purchaser, grain purchasers for feed, livestock producers need to make sure and and, and keep close watch. Uh, we've seen timely rains that make the crops appear better, but are they really better? Uh, 
are are they going to have more yield? Are they going to get to a health standpoint to help fend off some of this challenge? Uh, that's yet to be seen. But a lot of the precursors are in place for what could be a challenging mycotoxin uh, year for 2023. Well, then, Max, I guess um, it just uh, highlights the importance probably of, of, of what we're doing with, uh, with the Alltech Harvest Analysis programs uh, across, the, across Europe and North America uh, in the coming months. So do stay tuned. Uh, Max will be keeping us up to date uh, as results start to come in uh, across the various um, grain growing regions uh, uh, with regard to that analysis. Um, Jan, we'll we'll finish with you for a moment and and following you online and moving away from from weather and mycotoxins for a bit. Uh, I see you're a bit of a cyclist and I've taken on some some pretty big challenges to raise money over the past few years. Yep. Maybe you'd like to to tell us a little more uh, about that and and don't be shy about giving a a small plug to the the charity of choice uh, if you want to also. Sure. So I participate every year in a, a uh, cycling charity ride called the Journey of Awesomeness. And um, so I live in central Virginia, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we ride on a Saturday to Ashland, Virginia, which is 104 miles away. And then we ride back uh, on a different route, uh, which is about 106 miles. So in, uh, in a weekend, we end up doing 210 miles per uh, over two days. Um, and it's a uh, it's a great um, it's a great experience. There's great relationships. It's uh, it's a wonderfully supported ride. And the charities that we support are um, the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank, uh, which is a, a local food bank that helps supply helps supply food to those that are in need. And then we also support an organization called World Serve International, which builds water wells in Africa. And um, so certainly having water is important, uh, but I heard a story uh, this year that not only are we supporting um, wells, uh, sorry, not only are we supporting, you know, providing drinking water, but it also supports education because one of the roles in some cultures of uh, young girls is to fetch the water every day. And they generally spend so much time fetching water, they don't have time to get an education. And so because of the wells that we help support, um, there's a whole community uh, in which uh, young women are going to be graduating from school with an education. And um, I, I just think that's absolutely fantastic. So that, that's a little bit of what I do in my spare time. It is fantastic, Jan. And, uh, and we wish you and the, the group the very best uh, with that uh, as you continue to move forward with the, with the fundraising efforts there. So Jan and Max, uh, we do thank you for joining uh, today and sharing such valuable insights. I think it will appeal to a lot of people. Uh, there'll be uh, a lot of people thinking of um, the coming harvest season and, and, and thinking about crop quality and so on and making purchasing decisions uh, over the coming months. So I think what you've shared there today is, is going to be pretty valuable. And uh, I mentioned earlier, um, I follow you on online and uh, certainly there's a lot of value in that. Uh, and I would encourage you all to, to do the same. He does regularly share some, some really interesting commentary on the dynamics of weather patterns and the influence they are having on, on, on crop prospects. And to our listeners, uh, we hope you enjoyed today's conversation and we'll be back next month with another episode of Mycotoxin Matters. We hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, 
please visit nomycotoxins.com. That's K-N-O-W mycotoxins.com.